Welcome to the Miracle Channel podcast. Every week, you'll hear powerful messages from world-renowned pastors that air on Miracle Channel, Canada's 24-7 Christian TV station. And if you want to watch more of their messages anytime you want, check out our online streaming service, Corco Plus. Follow the link in our show notes to create a free account in three simple steps. Today on the podcast, you'll hear a message from Max Licato. Max is a speaker and best-selling author. He also serves as pastor to Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas. His passion for people and ministry is made clear through his written work and through his relatable messages for people from all walks of life. And now, Max Licato will preach on how to lean on God when going through a crisis and how to get through to the other side of your storm with God's guidance. Let's dive into the message. What do you do when your world is turned upside down? I mean, from one day to the next, when crisis strikes, when calamity hits, how do you respond? You know, it's essential to know how to respond to a crisis before a crisis, because in the midst of it, we don't always think too clearly. But even if you're in the middle of one right now, I think there's some words we're going to say that are going to help you get through the tough times of life. We're using the story of Joseph, the Old Testament character, to teach us how God gets us through things. Now, Joseph never said these words as far as I know, but he certainly lived them. And we're saying them to remind ourselves that God does get his people through tough times, and he'll do the same with you. Everyone in the studio here is going to say out loud this declaration of faith, this survivor's creed. And wherever you are, I'd like to invite you to say it out loud with us. So fill your lungs with air and your heart with hope. Let's say it out loud together, shall we? I'll get through this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick. But God will use this mess for good. I won't be foolish or naive, but I won't despair either. With God's help, I will get through this. You will, too, because God gets us through tough stuff. See the hole in the skyline? I remember like today when he said those words to me. It was on Friday after the Tuesday explosion on September the 11th. And through a curious series of events, I found myself in New York City there to study and witness for myself the devastation from the collapse of the towers. The gentleman driving the car was one of these fellows who drove in and out of New York City every day. He picked me up at the airport, and as soon as we came inside of the New York City skyline, he pointed a thick finger right through the windshield, and he said, see the skyline? And I leaned forward, trying to see what he was pointing at. He said, there's a hole right there. There's a hole right there. He was a big guy. I I was sitting behind him. I remembered that his neck was too big for his collar. 
He was muscular. He was stout. He was tough. But I could hear the emotion in his voice. He said, I can barely describe it. There used to be towers on the skyline. He said, from anywhere I would look in the city, I could see those towers. But now I can't see them anymore. He said, they used to give me direction. He said, now I'll lose my bearings. Well, he wasn't the only one to lose his bearings that day, was he? Nearly all of us have a memory from 9-11. 9-11 has come to symbolize for a nation, maybe even the world, the devastation of a global crisis. I know you have your memories of that day. Can I share just a couple of mine? I wasn't prepared for the numbness. As we drove closer and closer to the area of devastation, I saw just numbness on people's faces. I remember seeing about a dozen firefighters who were coming off their shift. They had spent the day putting out fires at ground zero. But I didn't see any emotion on their faces. And then here comes a group of firefighters heading in to take their place. And their faces were equally grim. Everyone was numb. I felt numb. I remember standing at ground zero looking at the devastation. And this thought came to my mind. Thousands of people are buried right here. But no tear came to my eye. No lump came to my throat. I just didn't know how to process it. I had no acquaintance with this level of crisis. I, I just was numb. Later that day, I went to one of the checkpoints where people had posted pictures of their missing loved ones. It was a wailing wall of sorts for 9-11. I asked the guard who was standing in front of the pictures how people responded when they came and looked. And he described my emotions. He said, it's like nobody knows how to process this. It caught us all off guard. He said, just about everyone is numb. I think numbness is just one of the emotions that comes when we're trying to respond to a crisis. I think confusion is another. We don't know where to package it. We don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to think. Now, maybe 9-11 is the picture of a global crisis, but it wouldn't take you very long to think about a personal crisis. You didn't see it coming. The layoff, you didn't see it coming. The divorce, you didn't see it coming. The car accident, you didn't see it coming. The miscarriage, but it's a crisis. A crisis can come on a global scale. A crisis can come on a personal scale. But the truth of the matter is crises come. I'd like to say to you that you're never going to have a crisis the rest of your life. But you and I both know I can't say that. But I would like to comfort you and encourage you with the thought, God will help you through the crisis. He will help you through the crisis. The promise of Scripture is that God gets us through tough things. 
And there's dozens of reasons that the story of Joseph is in the Bible. But I think the best reason is to give us just a case study on how God gets his people through tough times. Boy, wasn't his life tough? <laughs> I mean, the story of Joseph begins quite literally with life in the pits. Remember, his brothers threw him in the pit. They left him there and they sold him to the caravan of traders who came by. Joseph knew the crisis of personal rejection. He landed on his feet, if you remember. He, he, he was sold to Potiphar. Potiphar was a high-ranking official in the Egyptian government. And Joseph worked his way up to the top, only to be falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of sexual advances. Potiphar chose to believe his wife instead of Joseph. And what happened? Crisis number two. Joseph ended up in prison for two years. Two years. Of course, he didn't know it was going to be two years. It wasn't a two-year sentence. It was basically life without parole. And he may have spent the rest of his life in prison. Had it not been for the oncoming crisis number three, Remember what happened. Pharaoh, the king, had these dreams that troubled him, kept him awake at night. One was a dream of cows. The other was a dream of stalks. And in both cases, the healthy cow stalk was devoured by weak cows and stalks. Seven devoured by seven. Well, Joseph said this is a prophecy of the future. You've got seven good years coming, but then you've got seven years of famine. And much to Pharaoh's credit, he said, I'm going to believe you. And he believed not just Joseph, but he believed he was in the presence of a man of God. And he promoted Joseph to be over the entire nation because a famine would be a crisis. Well, guess what? Devastation came. Carcasses everywhere. Nobody could remember the last time a harvest had been gathered. It was devastation. It was the 9-11 of that generation. And guess who was in charge of it? Joseph. At the same time, Joseph was dealing with all the personal matters that we've been discussing. His ten brothers who sold him into slavery, reconciliation with his family. At the same time, he was dealing with all that. Guess what? He was in charge of the economy. He was in charge of, of, of trying to save the world. So if you know what it's like to have challenges at home and challenges at work, you can relate to Joseph because he faced both. Let me show you a verse in the Bible that really describes the situation of Joseph. Genesis 47 and verse 13. Now there was no bread in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt... And the land of Canaan languished because of the famine. So during the same time that Joseph was trying to reconcile with his brothers, he had to navigate this catastrophe where the land languished, where the sun was hot, where the land was a dust bowl, where Joseph had complete responsibility because when the people came to Pharaoh for help, you know what Pharaoh said? Pharaoh said, go to Joseph. And whatever Joseph tells you to do, that's what you need to do. So the people went to Joseph. 
And when the people came to Joseph, Joseph had a plan. I don't know if Joseph ever taught a course on crisis management. But boy, he could have. Because as he was helping people through the crisis, look at the description in 47 and verse 25. The people said, You have saved our lives. Let us find favor in the sight of my Lord, and we will be Pharaoh's servants. You see, the people stayed calm. The people didn't rebel. The catastrophe was averted. Joseph did something right. He did something right. And our question is, what did he do right? And what can he teach us about managing our crisis? Now, if you've never had a crisis, you don't need to know this. But if you think you might someday, pay attention. Because Joseph can teach you how to face a crisis. I think he can teach us a lot just in the words that he said to his brothers. During the crisis, he said to them in chapter 45 and verse 5, God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing or harvesting, and God sent me before you. When Joseph described his crisis... He began by referring to God, and he ended by referring to God. He said, God sent me, and God is with us. And right in the middle, he described the famine. I think this reveals the mentality that Joseph had. He just assumed that God was present in the midst of the crisis. You see, we often make this mistake. We assume that where there is a crisis present, that God is absent. That's the worst mistake we can make in a crisis, to say that the presence of a crisis suggests the absence of God. Joseph didn't make this mistake. He said, God sent me here. We have a crisis. God is with us. Now, if somebody was to ask you to describe the crisis that you're in, what would they hear? Would they hear you say, well, God is with me, but I've got a tough situation, but God is with me? Or would they hear, tough situation, tough situation, tough situation? Would they hear, God, struggling marriage, but God? Or would they hear, jerk of a husband, jerk of a husband, jerk of a husband? You see, it's where our focus is. It's where our focus is. Listen, a crisis can consume you. A crisis can suck you in. A crisis, it can just pull you into a black hole of despair and discouragement where every single thought you have is that of fear and anxiety. The most important decision that you can make during a time of crisis is to keep your mind focused on God. You just got to say that. I say, okay, God, I'm hanging in there with you. I'm not going to block you out. I didn't want this to happen. And God, you and I, we're going to have to have a long talk about this someday. I don't quite get it, but I'm not going to turn you off. I'm not going to let my heart get hard. Keep your heart soft toward God. I think Joseph believed that God could use the famine. 
for good. This is the promise of Genesis 50:20. What was intended for evil, God used for good. Do you believe that God can use this particular crisis that you're in for something good? Not too long ago, I sat down and had a cup of coffee with a friend I knew in high school. Most of our talk revolved around the health of his 14-year-old son. The 14-year-old son had gone through a time of, of dealing with a particular cancer. And this cancer had led to strenuous prayer and some chemotherapy. But the son recovered. His son had been healthy for about a year. In fact, he was playing football again. And the cancer clinic was becoming for the father and the family a, a distant memory. The discovery of the tumor, though, is what I found fascinating. When the boy was seven years old, he was horsing around with one of his cousins. And one of them accidentally kicked him in the stomach. And some acute pain led to a hospital visit. An alert doctor requested a series of tests. And the test led the surgeon to discover and remove the tumor. After the tumor had been removed, the father asked the physician how long the tumor had been present. Although it was impossible to know with accuracy, he said the form and size of the tumor suggested that it was no more than two or three days old. And so I told my friend, I said, you mean God used a kick in the gut to get your boy into treatment? And then there's the story of Isabel. She spent the first three and a half years of her life in a Nicaraguan orphanage. No father, no mother, no promise of either. It was a tough place to be an orphan. It was a tough age to be an orphan. And then came the slamming of the door on her finger. One day, Isabel was running out from the kitchen area to the playground, and somehow her hand got caught in the door when someone slammed it. Isabel let out a scream. It hurt her. Now, a person watching that might say, now why would God let that door slam on that little girl's finger? She's had so many bad things happen to her already. Why would He let that happen? Might it be to get the attention of a man by the name of Ryan Shinaki, a good friend of mine, who was at the orphanage looking for a girl to adopt? Over a series of events, he had had trouble completing the adoption procedures. And within a few weeks, he was about ready to give up. And then he remembered that little girl. You see, the day that her hand got caught in the door, he happened to be sitting nearby. And he heard her cry. And he ran over and he picked her up and held her until she settled down. And he didn't think much of it until some weeks later. And he remembered that little girl and he resolved he was going to try adoption one more time. And he contacted the agency and said, I want that girl whose finger got caught in the door. Well, now she's growing up in a happy, healthy home, in a home that loves Christ, and she has a bright future ahead of her. All because of a crisis. All because her finger got caught in the door. The little boy's healthy. All because he got kicked in the gut. Now, you've been kicked in the gut. Your finger got caught in the door. You've had some crises come your way. Could it be that God can use this crisis 
to bring something good out of your pain. The big mistake would be for you to say no. The big mistake would be for you to say, you know, if God really loved me, this wouldn't happen. You know, the fact of the matter is, folks, we live in a fallen world. We live in a dark world. And in a fallen and dark world, people fall and stumble. And we get hurt. And bad things happen. But would you dare believe that your Heavenly Father loves you? Even in the midst of this crisis, and His word to you is simply this, I can use this. Don't give up. Don't despair. Don't turn away. Don't let your heart get hard. Do what Joseph did. Keep your mind on God. You know what else Joseph did? He developed a plan. And it was a real simple plan. His plan going into the crisis was, well, for seven years we're going to save. And during seven years we're going to distribute. It was a very, very simple plan. And he said, when anybody comes, we're going to take care of them. I think it's a plan that had Joseph wanted to, he could have written on an index card. Sometimes when a crisis comes, the first thing you need to do after you've kept your mind on God is ask God just to give you a plan. Just to give you a plan. What is something you can do? What is the best response you can have? What is a two or three point strategy that you can make that will help you get through this difficult time? Inactivity is your enemy during a time of crisis. Inactivity is your enemy during a time of crisis. Now maybe you don't know what to do, but listen to me. Someone does. The devil wants you to think that nobody knows what to do, but there is somebody who can help you through this. In fact, that might be point number one on your index card. I'm going to find somebody who's had to face this before, and I'm going to find advice. Maybe point number two would be, I'm just going to get counsel from someone, or I'm going to form a prayer group, and I'm going to get people to pray, or I'm just going to... I'm just going to make sure I get out of bed every morning. <laughs> I'm just going to make sure I get up. I keep myself bathed. I keep myself fed. You know, you can let this fear paralyze you. Don't do that. In World War II, the British government made a decision that they were going to print some posters and distribute them around the country. Posters that would just keep the people in a positive mindset. And so they did. All over the country, you would find posters like this. Your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring victory. These were in subways. These were in pubs. They were all over the country. Three of these kind of posters were commissioned, but only two of them were made public. For some reason, a third poster that looked just like the first two, well, it, it just never made distribution. Until many years later, a bookstore owner found a copy of one of the 2.5 million posters that had been printed, and somehow it ended up in a box of used books 
He discovered it. He pulled it out. He framed it. And it has become one of the most popular posters in history. It just says this, keep calm and carry on. I don't know if Joseph had any posters hanging in his Egyptian office, but I have a hunch that he would have appreciated this poster because he just kept calm and he just carried on. The story of Joseph is an interesting story because there's not a lot of drama in it. There's no Red Sea openings. There's no Lazarus that's called back from the dead. There's none of what we might call miracles that are dramatic. No manna falling from heaven. No fire by night, no cloud by day. It's just Joseph kind of leading the people through. We're going to save up for seven years. And we're going to distribute it for seven years. Not a lot of drama. You know what? Most of the time when people make it through crisis, they're able to respond just by level-headed thinking, just with a good plan, just with common sense. Joseph indwelt that world of ledgers and meetings and to-do lists, and he just kind of kept things going. And I want to encourage you to do that. Now, I hope that God solves your crisis by virtue of a miracle. I really do. <laughs> I would like to think that maybe tomorrow there will be no crisis where there is a crisis today. But odds are tomorrow you're going to wake up and the crisis will still be there and you'll just need to have enough faith to get you through the day. And if you have a belief that God is present and if you have a belief that you have a plan that will get you through it, then you have everything Joseph had and you will have enough to get you through it. Early in the 20th century, there were two explorers who set out to discover the South Pole. One of these was a Norwegian man by the name of Amundsen, and the other was a British explorer by the name of Robert Scott. Robert Scott was impulsive. He was dramatic. He was flamboyant. Amundsen, he was very predictable. And his plan was that his team was going to reach the South Pole going 20 miles a day, never more, never less. Robert Scott, however, said, we're going to go as hard as we can all the time. We're going to stay emotional, fired up. He was a very emotional leader. <laughs> well, guess who won? Amundsen. 20 miles a day, no more, no less. 20 miles a day, no more, no less. 20 miles a day, no more, no less. Robert Scott's team, well, they perished in the process, all for the lack of a plan. Joseph reminds me of Amundsen. Seven years of plenty, seven years of want. We've got a plan, we've got a God, and he's going to get us through this. Do you have the same God Joseph did? Absolutely. Do you have the same skill set Joseph did? You might be surprised because the God who gave Joseph everything he needed to face his crisis is the God who will meet you today to help you face anything you're going through. Thanks for joining us today. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast to hear more great messages from inspiring teachers like Max Licato.
Rate this podcast and write a review if you haven't already. And share this message so others can be encouraged by this teaching too. So subscribe, rate, review, and share. We hope you were inspired by today's message. God bless.